Our reading this morning is from The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down, a book by Anne Fadiman. Dan had no way of knowing that Fu Wa and Nao Kao had already diagnosed their daughter's problem as the illness where the spirit catches you and you fall down. Fu Wa and Nao Kao had no way of knowing that Dan had diagnosed it as epilepsy, the most common of all neurological disorders. Each had accurately noted the same symptoms, but Dan would have been surprised to hear that they were caused by soul loss, and Leah's parents would have been surprised to hear that they were caused by an electrochemical storm inside their daughter's head that had been stirred up by the misfiring of aberrant brain cells. Dan had learned in medical school that epilepsy is a sporadic malfunction of the brain. During an epileptic episode, instead of following their usual orderly protocol, the damaged cells in the cerebral cortex transmit neural impulses simultaneously and chaotically. Thmong are not the only people who might have good reason to feel ambivalent about suppressing the symptoms. The Greeks called epilepsy the sacred disease. Dan Murphy's diagnosis added Leah Lee to a distinguished line of epileptics that has included Soren Kierkegaard, Vincent van Gogh, Gustave Flaubert, Louis Carroll, and Fyodor Dostoevsky, all of whom, like many Hmong shamans, experienced powerful senses of grandeur and spiritual passion during their seizures and powerful creative urges in their wake. As Dostoevsky's Prince Miskin asked, what if it's a disease? What does it matter that it is an abnormal tension if the result, if the moment of sensation remembered and analyzed in a state of health turns out to be harmony and beauty brought to their highest point of perfection and gives a feeling undivined and undreamt of till then of completeness, proportion, reconciliation, and an ecstatic and prayerful fusion to the highest synthesis of life. Dan's view of medicine in general, and of epilepsy in particular, was like that of his colleagues essentially rationalist. Hippocrates' skeptical commentary on the nature of epilepsy made around 400 B.C., pretty much sums up Dan's own frame of reference. He wrote, It seems to me that the disease is no more divine than any other. It has a natural cause, just as other diseases have. Men think it is divine merely because they don't understand it. But if they called everything divine, which they do not understand, there would be no end of divine things. Who are you? I ask that because whenever we meet someone new, there are things that we presume about them. When we meet them for the first time, there are things that we assume that we already know just by our perception of who they are. And sometimes, sometimes those things turn out to be true, and sometimes those things turn out to be not so true. And The answer, of course, like the answer in the story that Laura told to our children, is to ask questions. Questions like, who are you? 
This summer, Unitarian Universalists from all over the country convened in Phoenix, Arizona for our general, annual, annual General Assembly. But this General Assembly was unlike any other General Assembly that we had ever had before. Because of things going on in Phoenix, unjust laws and the ways in which Latino and Latina immigrant populations in Phoenix had been targeted by law enforcement officials there, Unitarian Universalists decided that we would only go to Phoenix if our General Assembly became a Justice General Assembly. And so we gathered in Phoenix for Justice General Assembly, working in partnership for the two years previously with groups in Phoenix, um, Latino, Latina, immigrant groups, indigenous peoples groups, all sorts of groups, all working for justice, groups all working so that their people's inherent worth and dignity could be respected in the society that they lived in. And so we showed up in Phoenix um, with these partners on the ground already. We'd never done that before in all of our history of general assemblies. And we decided that we needed a way to invite our partners into our general assembly. Makes sense, right? Much of the business of our general assembly and lots of the workshops were guided by the questions and the, the struggles that our partners had expressed to us. And so we needed to invite them in. But in order to be in our general assembly, you need to register and you need a name tag. And there are security guards at the door who keep people with, without name tags out of general assembly. And it costs some $300 to register for general assembly. And most of the people in most of our partner organizations just did not have a spare $300 to spend on our meeting. So we let them in. We made room in our budget for 500 scholarships to General Assembly for people from our partners. 500. It's quite a lot, especially when you consider there were about 3,000 Unitarian Universalists there. 500 extra folks were... Uh, we're coming from our partner organizations. And we let everyone know the folks from our partner organizations are coming to our General Assembly. And so we are going to be in community with people who are not Unitarian Universalist. We are going to be in community with people who have different backgrounds from where we come from. People who are struggling every day, um, not knowing where their next paycheck is coming from sometimes. We are going to be in community with people whose primary language is not English. Many of the people from our partner organizations who came into General Assembly speak Spanish as their primary language. And while most of them, though not all, also spoke English, um, pe people needed to know that not everyone they were going to be encountering at General Assembly was, was fluent and, and readily fluent in English all the time. And so we were trying to prepare people to, to be in community with folks who, um, who had a lot of differences than they did. And then we heard from Latino Unitarian Universalists who said, wait, wait just a minute, I appreciate we appreciate, they said, all of this preparation. We appreciate the Justice General Assembly. We appreciate the partnerships. We appreciate that we are going to Phoenix in a new way. But the way we are preparing means that every one of our fellow Unitarian Universalists who shows up at General Assembly is going to see us, see our name tag, see that our name is uh, 
Latino or Hispanic last name and assume that we're not Unitarian Universalists. People are going to see us and assume that we might not speak English or that we're from Phoenix or that, that we are not part of the Unitarian Universalist Association. And they said to us, that's a problem because we get that all the time in congregations all over the country. And that was the hard part that we had to hear. That people whose skin is slightly brown, whose last name is Latino or Latina uh, or Hispanic, um, come into Unitarian Universalist congregations and assumptions are made about them that they are not in the right place. That maybe they would be more comfortable at the Spanish-speaking Christian church down the road, for example. Those assumptions get made all the time. And those assumptions hurt. I have two good friends, one of whom is a fellow minister in this district and one of whom works for our association headquarters. You might have met Janice and and Hope Johnson at district events um, from, from time to time. They are dear, dear friends of mine. And when you meet Janice and Hope, the first thing you notice, probably, in this society that we live in, is that they have very dark skin. They appear black to look, to look at. And uh, they get a lot of people assuming things about them. And so w- when we have categories that we put people in, they often get assumed to be African-American. That's the category they get put in, because that's the way that they would appear to most of us before we get to know them. Janice and Hope, however, were born and raised in Jamaica. They are Caribbean. They are now Caribbean American. And their experience, their experience of life, their their history, their family history is very different from the family histories of people who were brought up in African-American communities in the United States. It's a, different, it's a different history. It's a different story. It's a different culture that they come from. And yet people assume that they belong to a culture of other people who look like them because they look at them and they, and they make that assumption. We make assumptions all the time when we see people. And what we wound up having to do in preparation for General Assembly is to teach people about something we call cultural humility. It's, um, it's a notion of how you get to know someone without making those assumptions about them. And I thought that um, as I was looking for readings for the service, this poem um, jumped out at me and it just it didn't fit as an opening reading or closing reading. And so I thought I'd share it with you in the service. It's, it's a poem um, by a woman named Toy Derricott. It's entitled Passing. And she writes, A professor invites me to his black-lit class. They're reading Larson's Passing. One of the black students says, Sometimes light-skinned blacks think they can fool other blacks, but I can always tell, looking right through me, After I tell them I am black, I ask the class, was I passing when I was just sitting here before I told you? A white woman shakes her head desperately as if I had deliberately deceived her. She keeps examining my face and then turning away as if she hopes I'll disappear. 
Why presume passing is based on what I leave out and not what she fills in? In in one scene in the book in a restaurant, she's passing, though no one checked her at the door. Hey, you black? My father, who looked white, told this story. Every year when he'd go to get his driver's license, the man at the window filling out the form would ask, white or black? Pencil poised without looking up. My father wouldn't pass, but he might use silence to trap a devil. When he didn't speak, the man would look up at my father's face. What do you think he would always write? My father would say. We make assumptions about one another all the time. And this week, it occurred to me, um, I scheduled this service not even thinking about where it fell in the calendar. This week, um, we celebrated, um, many people celebrated at least National Coming Out Day this week. And lesbian, gay, and bisexual people make choices all the time about how much of ourselves we reveal and how much we let people assume about us. And National Coming Out Day is in part a holiday that was created to help people claim who they were boldly and openly. And I talk about National Coming Out Day with a little bit of trepidation, to be honest with you, as, as a gay man standing before you as your minister. After worship is over today, I'm headed down to White Plains to the Community Unitarian Church. I apologize for uh, cutting short any conversations at coffee hour to do this. But I'm leading there this, this afternoon a workshop called Beyond Categorical Thinking. It's a workshop that um, is designed for congregations in search for new ministers, and White Plains is currently in search for a new minister. You all might have done that workshop when you were searching for me, in fact. And one of the things that congregations learn in this workshop is that ministers who have certain identities um, don't talk about those identities um, almost ever. And the reason why we don't, gay, lesbian, bisexual ministers, transgender ministers, ministers of color, ministers with disabilities, ministers from poor and working class backgrounds, the reason that we don't is because studies have been done on congregations. Studies have been done that say when, for example, a minister of color talks about race three times in one year, So you'll hear from me about 40 times in a sermon in the course of one year. If if a minister of color talked about race in just three of those 40-odd sermons in a year, the congregation perceives that minister to be a single-issue minister. And the same thing is true with gay, lesbian, and bisexual ministers as well. When gay, lesbian, and bisexual ministers talk about sexual orientation or anything having to do with sexual orientation, including, for example, marriage equality, we get perceived as single-issue ministers if we mention them just three times in a year. And so most of the time, we just don't talk about those things. Some of you know that Eric and I are in the midst of planning our wedding. We are getting married in December. Many of you don't know that. 
because I don't spend a lot of time talking about it here. And, you know, if you'd asked me two months ago, was I excited about this? Two months ago, I was very excited about this. Right now, I'm mostly just stressed out because we're having a wedding in December. But excited about it or stressed out about it, I don't get to talk about it a lot here. Because if I dare share that joy or that struggle or that stress in my life just a little bit too much, just a little bit too much, then I get a label. And I trust you all. I trust that you wouldn't consciously label me that way, that you wouldn't think anything bad, that you would be really happy, actually, for us that we are getting married. But studies have shown that whatever it is you're consciously engaging in, that label gets affixed. And it's because those things that we assume and those things that we think we know about other people are tied to what the dominant culture in our society teaches us. And the dominant culture in our society makes some people's experiences, some people's lives, some people's humanity more valuable than other people's experiences, other people's lives, and other people's humanity. And those of us who claim identities that marginalize us in, in our society, whatever those identities are, we are easily lumped into groups in which we lose our personal identity. And thus we come back to getting to know people as human beings before we get to know their identity to begin with. When we meet people, the principles of cultural humility ask us to focus on intercultural exchange. No other person that you will ever meet is exactly the same as you. No other person that you will ever meet grew up in the same place, practices the exact same religion, has the exact same beliefs, has the same wonderful mix of backgrounds that you bring to this room in this place. And so if we engage in every interaction as if we have a chance to learn something new about someone who is different from us, when we engage with someone who is really, truly very different from us, we will be in a place of humility and openness, of kindness and respect and compassion. We will really want to get to know them instead of making assumptions about them. We will really honor their individual humanity, their inherent worth and dignity, and the inherent equality of all of those identities that they bring to the room with them, whatever those identities are. And we all have them. We all have multiple identities that we bring to the room. If we, if we are practicing cultural humility, we open our hearts We open our hearts to the newcomer, understanding that each new person who enters our life has a gift to give us, the gift of their different perspective on the world. And we let them into our hearts, and we share with them a little bit about who we are 
and what we're struggling with and what our background is, understanding that our background is different to them as well and that where we come from is not the normal place but our place. It undermines these systems of oppression, these systems of domination that are at work in our society. If we treat everyone as if they are new and different and special, and we understand that we are new and different and special to them as well. And so today I ask, who are you? Because I don't want to make assumptions about who you are. I don't want you to make assumptions about who each other is. I would like this place to be a place where we open our hearts enough to really get to know one another in our different and diverse and wonderful splendor. That's what makes a real society. And that, that what, that's what makes a society shaped in the image of the values that we hold here together. May it be so.